Romans chapter 8, and um, just as we did this morning, we're, we're going to read verse 13, and then we'll have a word, word of prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live through the Spirit, excuse me, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. and Lord, I thank you for the promise that you give us. That wherever two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst of them. Lord, we got people that are sick, people that are taking care of the sick. Lord, um, you, you know what's going on. And Father, we, we, we just pray that all of them are able to rejoin us soon. So Lord, we ask for healing. And Lord, we ask... Uh, we ask a blessing upon the caretakers and, Lord, the, those that, that are uh, taking care of uh, others. So, Father, as we gather around the Word, we thank you for each and every one that's here. We thank you for each and every one that, that, that will hear this sermon uh, after it's preached. So, Lord, um, we ask that the Holy Spirit works everywhere. Father, may the Holy Spirit give me the words to say. May the Holy Spirit guide me. Um, may there be a good spirit in the church because the Holy Spirit is here and because the Holy Spirit's working. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we do this in your honor and glory. In thy name we pray, amen. Now, this morning, um, none of you were out here this morning. <laughs> so, right, you, you were in class. All right, yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, well, good grief. This morning, <laughs> we, we looked at basically the first part of this verse, um, I'll try to catch some of the high points. Um, if, if ye, okay, it starts out with an if. That, that, that was one point. You know, it, there's a condition here. Um, so it's kind of like an if-then clause. Uh, he's saying if something is done, then something else will happen. And there's actually two ifs here. Uh, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live, if ye through the Spirit... Do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now we got in, into a little about whether or not this is eternal life. Um, we'll kind of get more into that. We'll kind of get more into that uh, later on tonight. So I won't mention what we said about it this morning. I do want to mention who it's talking to. Notice um, if ye at the beginning of the verse and if ye toward the middle of the verse. So who are the ye that it's talking about? Well, it, it's, it's all over the chapter. Uh, verse 1 starts out, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's who it's talking to. That's who it's talking about. It, it's, he's talking to the saved, those that have no condemnation to them. In, in other words, they're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. They're saved. They're, they're on their way to heaven. And as you go through the chapter, um, you, he sees, well, you'll see that, that he brings this ye up again and again and again. And, and remember, I, I'm really big on notice, noticing when God repeats himself um, in verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, okay, but in the spirit. Verse 10, if Christ be in you. Uh, you know, so there's that if again, and talk about being in you. And then verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead be in you. So see, it, it, it's all going back to 
ye and you and if. And the big if here is the spirit. Um, and again, it talks about how the spirit is in us. Uh, again, just going back to the verses we just read, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And notice that's capital S. That's talking about the spirit of God. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. And like I said, I don't want to end up preaching this morning's message over again, but I, I got to make emphasis here. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He lives there. He's just not an outside force, you know, like Star Wars. He's just not a influence. He dwells inside of you. And that's the difference. I mean, the Bible tells us that if you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. And that's the difference. I, 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 really, I really never understood that um, people that believe you get saved and the Spirit comes along later. And yes, they will point to the book of Acts and all that sort of stuff. But, but good grief, if you make a study of that, the apostles received the Holy Ghost in the upper room. Um, well, let's go ahead and turn there. It's just us. Turn, turn back to the Gospel of John, and it's going to be toward the end of the book. As soon as I see it, I'll tell you. As you can tell, I wasn't planning to go there. But anyway, <laughs> um, aha, John chapter 20. And Jesus, it's after the resurrection, and Jesus is in the upper room. It's still Easter afternoon. And, uh, well, verse 19, John 20, 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto him, excuse me, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is when the apostles got the Holy Ghost. It wasn't in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost filled them. <laughs> the Holy Ghost came upon the crowd, and basically what it, you know, from that point on, when a person gets saved, the Holy Ghost comes upon them and dwells in them, not just an influence on, uh, in their lives. I mean, the Holy Ghost operated completely different in the Old Testament than what he does in the New, and that's a completely different study in and of itself. But he's talking about Christians here. Uh, going back to Romans 8, you know, again there in verse 9, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, the middle of the verse. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And that's, you want to know if, somebody, you want to know if somebody's saved? Well, the answer is, is this, does the Spirit of Christ live in them? Now, here's the problem. You, you can't, you can't yeah, I mean, you, you can't take a scalpel and open up his chest and find out the Holy Spirit's in there. You know, but what Christ also say? By their fruits ye shall know them. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, faith. Against such there is temperance. Against such there is no law. So, you know, we have the fruits of the Spirit that are evidence of the Spirit. But the key is whether or not the Spirit dwells in you. Not that you're influenced by Him. Not that, you know, <laughs> that there's that feeling <laughs> whenever you walk into a room. It's whether or not He is in you.
Because if he doesn't dwell there, if he doesn't live there, well, what what'd that say in verse 9? You're none of his. And um, all the comment was made earlier, you know, ye are the temple. Well, we need to finish that verse. Um, our bodies are, are the temple of the Spirit of God. Um, and, and the reason they're the temple of the Spirit of God is this. <laughs> the, Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if you think about that, I mean, if you really think about it hard, an unsaved individual, they are not the temple of God because the Holy Spirit doesn't live in them. Not every human being that walks around is God's temple because if God don't live there, it's not the temple. So the reason we're the temple of God is that the Spirit dwells inside of us. So, all right, don't, let's go all the way back to verse 9 again. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That is how God wants us to live. He wants us to live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And, and every word's important. In the Spirit. When you're in something, it completely engulfs you. We are in this room. This entire room is around us. The ceiling is above us. We have walls on all sides. We have the floor underneath our feet. We are in this room. Make sense? So, with that being said, <laughs> are you in the flesh or are you in the spirit? When we're in the flesh, we live according to the flesh. We do the lust of the flesh. When we're in the spirit, well, he completely surrounds us. If you've got a problem in life, for the Christian now, for the Christian, if you've got a problem in life, regardless of what it is, um, depression, anxiety, a financial problem, you got a relationship problem with somebody, you know, there's some bad air between you. The way you fix it is engulf yourself in the Spirit. Engulf yourself in the Word of God. Live in the Spirit. We'll get more into that as we get finally down there to verse 13. I'm still reminiscing about this morning. Verse 10, and there it is again. If Christ be, and what's that big two-letter word there? In. If Christ be in you. See, the Holy Spirit's in us. The Spirit of Christ is in us. The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the Spirit, notice these ifs are all through here. <laughs> but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and there it is again, dwell in you. We have that wording back there in verse 9, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. We have... We have that wording in verse 10. He doesn't use the word dwell, but he says, if Christ be in you. And then in verse 11, he repeats it again. That the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, which is the Holy Spirit. We can see that from the capital S in the word spirit at the beginning of the verse. The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. God is trying to drive home a point that Christians people, God's children, the people of God, has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Period. He doesn't come and go. <laughs> you know? Now, okay. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwelleth in you. 
Now, again, I don't know if anybody remembers, but Bobby preached on this last year, and I never really, I never really thought about it till I, I saw this verse. He talks about quickening our mortal bodies, and, and you know, now when he's talking about quickening the body, he's talking about bringing the body back to life. You know, the the word quicken, and yeah, you know, I've used this. I used it this morning. I'll use it again. The word quicken basically means to insert life. Um, and the best illustration I, I, I can think of is when you got a dead car battery and you bring another car up to it, you hook up the jumper cables and, and you get in that car with the dead battery and you turn that key and that car starts, that, you know, you've inserted life into that battery and now it's able to do what it needs to do. Well, you know, he's not, uh, in some places, you know, he talks about quickening our spirit which means, you know, he's given, you know, we've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. But here he talks about quickening our mortal body. So he's telling us here that, you know, he's talking about a resurrection, taking our dead body and quickening it. And how is he able to do that? By the spirit that dwelleth in you. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he means it. Now, when we die, the Bible says to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when an individual dies, you know, it, you know, if I would keel over right now, you know, my body would, would, would just fall over to the ground, but my soul and spirit would be gone. And, and to, be pre, to be absent from the body, my soul and spirit are gone, is to be present with the Lord. So I will go, my spirit and soul will go into the presence of the Lord. I'll be there in heaven and be there with Him, but my body will still be here. And, and you know... Uh, hopefully there'll be some mourners, they'll have a funeral, they'll bury me. And, and um, one day, that spirit that dwelleth in me will quicken my mortal body. After I'm dead, the Holy Spirit's still in this mortal body. That's how he brings it back to life. And, and oh man... See, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That Holy Spirit's never going to leave you. I, I just do not understand people that believe that you can lose your salvation because he's promising to stay with our body after, the, after our soul and spirit leave. You see that? I mean, good grief. If he's going, if you go out to a graveyard and, and there's, well, Christ said, few there be that find it. So in that graveyard, I don't know, there may be a hundred graves, there may be a thousand graves, but there's going to be a handful of graves where the Holy Spirit's down there because they're, they're saved individuals there. Their bodies are there. Now, now their spirit and soul's up there with, with Jesus Christ. They're up there in heaven. But the Holy Spirit is with their body underground. And that body will deteriorate. It will eventually go to a skeleton. It will eventually, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If it stays there long enough, it won't. There'll be no recognition of a body there at all, not even a skeleton. But God knows where every piece of DNA is. Uh, you know, I, I've had people ask me, you know, well, is it right to get cremated? Go ahead and get cremated. <laughs> Have your ashes spread out over the ocean, you know. God knows where every single one of them ashes will be. And, and, and if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's going to be with every one of them ashes. And then there'll be a day when he'll quicken that mortal body. You'll get your resurrected body. 
Now we're, we're, we're getting off of topic here, so let, let's kind of jump back into this. I don't even remember what verse we were in. 11, okay. <laughs> verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Okay? We, we owe the flesh absolutely nothing because the flesh hasn't gotten us anything. Now, I'll use myself as an example. I, I know it don't look like it, but I was a very good athlete back when I was Sean's age. <laughs> okay? Um, in fact, you're, you're 15, right? You're going on 16. How soon? It's this summer. What? Next month. I was 16 years old. I'll brag on myself a little bit. I was 16 years old, and I hit a ball over the left field fence at the at the at, uh, where our church played its softball games. And well, here comes the bragging. That field lasted for another 30 years until that they eventually tore the field down and they got something else there now. But I was the only person ever to hit a softball over that left field fence. I, I hit that softball almost 400 feet. It, it was amazing. Now, with that being said, I, I, I'm, all I'm doing is saying, you know, I was a very good athlete when I was younger. Um, I'm not a good athlete now. 30 years from now, I'll be 90 years old. I'll probably be dead and gone if the rapture hasn't come. I will definitely won't be a good athlete then. But see, there's going to be a day I'm going to get a resurrected body. And according to verse 12, I don't owe the flesh anything. Because the flesh does nothing but corrupt. I mean, we start out pretty good. We might start out good athletes. You might not be one of the athletic guys. You might be one of the bookworms. But, well, we all know what happens as we get older. And the older we get, the more it happens. The memory starts to fade. You know, maybe dementia creeps in. We just don't remember facts. I mean, even without dementia and stuff like that, we just don't remember facts the way we used to. Um, you know, it... it it pains me a little bit, you know, like, you know, the family, you know, all four kids and 12 grandchildren to be there and, you know, my, my kids-in-laws and, you know, we, we got over 20 people there and all this is going on. And, and my kids will start talking about memories that they have. And when I say my kids, you know, my oldest, for those that are listening, my oldest is 40 and my youngest is 35. I have four children. You know, so they're all in their, you know, mid to late, mid to late thirties, mid to early forties. And they'll talk about memories that they have from when they were kids, you know, eight, 10, 12, 15 years old. And I'm sitting there, man, I don't remember this. I don't remember that trip to the zoo that they're talking about. I don't remember that trip to the museum where, where they're talking about this that they might be talking about something that happens at home, you know, where they got into trouble and, you know, old dad was so mad at us, and I don't remember. Now, it's not that I don't remember everything, but they bring up stuff that is memories to them, but is not memories to me. And what I'm getting at is, is my mind just don't remember. And I don't think I have any disease going on. It's just that 
Well, I'm 60 years old. For whatever reason, I didn't file it in my memory banks like they did. And see this mortal body, verse 12, we are therefore brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. Now, with that being said, he doesn't come around and just say, well, we're debtors to the spirit. But then he starts his if clause. Verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, a lot of people will try to tie that verse into salvation. But again, remember who he's talking to. We've already went back up there and established that. He's talking to the saved. He's talking to those that have the spirit of God already dwelling in them. He's not talking to people that need salvation. And then also, if you look at the Greek word, that this word here that's used for life is referring <laughs> to the physical life. And you're saying, well, preacher, good grief. You just went on and on and on how, how we don't owe the flesh anything. Now you're talking about physical life. Well, keep your finger here and, and turn over to John chapter 10. And, and I'll show you what he's talking about because we're going to use the same uh, original words here. John chapter 10, and we got the words of Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 10. This is, uh, this is Jesus Christ speaking. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. He's not talking about eternal life. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about having an abundant life here. Now, with that being said, he's not talking about riches, he, uh, you know, material riches. He's not talking about earthly wealth. He's not talking about any of that. He's talking about living for God. Go back to Romans, verse 13 again, and, and we'll pick it up in the middle. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Okay, so in order to have that live, that life, that abundant life, a life that's worth living, what do we got to do? Well, first of all, it has to be through the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot on that because we've already hit it quite a bit. Um, again, verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Verse 10, but, it, but if Christ be in you, you know, um, verse, well, verse 10 is good because let's go on with that. But if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Notice, because of righteousness, the Spirit is life. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, you know, and then he goes on talking about quickening the mortal body. So through the spirit, living through the spirit of God. Uh, now we talked about being in the spirit where it, he's engulfed in us. Now he's talking about being, you know, through the spirit. In other words, using the spirit. Um, example. This might not be a good one because we don't phrase it this way. But if, if, if I'm to go from here to Rockville, now it's 12 miles, I realize that somebody could walk that, 
but if we're going to be normal people, we're going to go out there and get in our car and drive down to Rockville, correct? So how do we get there? Through our vehicles, through our car. That's how we got from point A to point B. So to get from point A to point B in our spiritual lives, there's only one way we can get there, through the Spirit. So many Christians try to live the Christian life, try to live their lives without the Spirit of God. And I'm not saying that you know, they're all mad and they don't want the Spirit of God. You know, they're happy that they have Him. But they'll go about things without praying about it. What's the Bible say we should pray for? All things. How often should we pray? The Bible says pray without ceasing. You know, so we're, we're, be, we're to be praying about all things at all times. Well, how often do we find ourselves <laughs> after the fact, oh, wishing we had done something different, wishing that we had made a different decision? Well, maybe we didn't pray enough the first time. Well, I had to make a decision right now. Who says? That, that, that's... Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, you get contacted by salesmen every once in a while, or maybe you even go to a place, you know, and you're looking to buy something. Uh, you know, we, well, we bought that car just this week, so you know, we, we went to sell, we went to a few dealers, and there's one thing, and I learned this years ago, and and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I followed my own advice, <laughs> and sometimes I didn't. But when that salesman says Hey, this offer is good until the end of the day. My first question is, well, why isn't it good tomorrow? I mean, if you can sell this, if, if, it doesn't have to be a car. If you can sell this item to me at this price today, then what happens to this thing between now and tomorrow, 24 hours now where the price changes? Usually when I hear that line... <laughs> No, no matter how much I want it, no matter even if, you know, even if I can afford it paying double what they're asking, because something ain't right. Now, I, you know, like in buying that car, you know, we're praying over what vehicle, you know, we're, we're asking the Lord, you know, we know we only have so much money. We, only, we know we only have so much money available. We, we know that because of that, that puts us in the lower end of automobiles. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to get rid of the, the uh, 88 Lincoln that was falling apart to buy something else that was newer and falling apart. <laughs> okay, Lord, so what do you want? We do things through the Spirit. Consulting Him, asking Him, Getting in the Word of God, seeing if there's any answers in there. You know, now God isn't going to tell you to come out, you know, well, buy a Ford. You know, I mean, it's not in the Bible. That's what I mean. But, but what I'm getting at is, is He will lead you and you will know. How does anybody know that they've been called to preach? How do you know if, if this person is the one that God wants you to, to marry, spend the rest of your life with? There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, Tim, marry Julie. 
There's nowhere in the Bible that says, Tim, be a preacher. But as the Holy Spirit worked on my heart, I knew the answer to those two questions. Who he wanted me to marry, what he wanted me to do. And I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And, and But see, here's the thing. If you're not in the Spirit, how are you going to get his answers? I, it's just that simple. If you want an answer out of the Bible, you got to be in the Bible to find it. You know, it, it's just the way it works. Um, so anyway, with that being said, going back to verse 13, we have to do this through the Spirit. Now, do mortify the deeds of the body. Now, mortify, it's not a word we use too much anymore. But, but if you look up the definition, it says to subdue <laughs> or deaden, to subdue or deaden, especially by abstinence or self-inflicted pain or discomfort. Ooh, that don't sound very good. <laughs> but notice, notice what to subdue or deaden something. Okay, so he's telling us, what's he telling us to mortify? Mortify the deeds of the body. So he's saying you got to subdue, you got to deaden down, you got to, you got to get them to where you know the deeds of the body are weak. The deeds of the body are not the things that are you know the most important. They're not the things you're thriving on. And and, and you might say, well, preacher, the deeds of the body. Well, so often the body in in the scripture is called the flesh, but I think he uses the word body, so so we have no doubt here. But the sins of the flesh. I mean, good grief. <laughs> Guys walking around with their tongues, tongues hanging out, looking at women, thinking about what, they, what they're going to do. And you might say, well, preacher, that's kind of gross. Well, it, it's just the way it is. You know, evil thoughts, evil actions, the lust of the, the... In fact, the scripture says all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Subdue those things. You know, at, at, well, the wording here, mortify those deeds. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. Have, I, I, I love it because <laughs> you know, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but God has his pictures. And, and to show, I've used this illustration a thousand times, but to show how strong God is about his pictures. Moses, of all people, was not allowed in the promised land. I mean, Moses was a great man of faith. He did everything that God told him to do. He leads all these millions of Jews out of Egypt and into the, into the wilderness, goes to the mountain. <coughs> Moses is the only one God's going to let up there. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God himself. Moses, I mean, re really, I mean, good grief. He's, not, he's like no other person in the Bible other than Jesus. A and... When it come time to go into the promised land, God looks at him and says, ain't no way, Moses, you ain't going in there. Why? Well, you hit a rock. What? <laughs> I mean, if there was anybody that maybe had a right to say, after all I've done for you, you're not going to let me go in there. You're not going to let me go into the promised land because I hit a rock. That's how much God pays attention to his pictures. All right, what is it? The rock was a picture of Christ. 
The first time they came to the rock, everybody, you know, they're all thirsty. Oh, we're dying. Moses, we're dying of thirst. We should never have left Egypt. You just brought us out here to die. God tells Moses, you hit that rock. So Moses goes up to it and whack. He hits the thing and water comes flowing out of the rock, flowing out of where it should never have been. Enough water to feed <laughs> two million Jews, all their cattle, all their sheep, all their... You know, water enough, it, it must have flowed out of there like a river. So they wander around in the wilderness for a while, you know, that they're in there 40 years. Well, eventually, same thing's going on. We're thirsty. We should have never left Egypt. Why don't we have any water? Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. All, you know, just like before. So they come back to the same rock. And God tells Moses, speak to the rock. You know what Moses does? Well, you should. I kind of told you already. <laughs> he hits the rock. Water comes out of the rock just like it did before. But God told Moses to speak to it. And, and, so God's not going to let Moses go into the promised land because he told him to talk to it and he hit it? Just for something small like that, it's more than that. That rock is a picture of Christ. Christ died on the cross how many times? Once. That was symbolized by hitting the rock once and getting that living water. After salvation, we, we never have to get saved again. Christ never has to be crucified again. He, he would never be beaten and you know, destroyed like he was the first time. We come to him now through prayer. So therefore... Now that he's been, the rock has been beaten and we come back years later, Moses, speak to the rock. It's, it, the rock is still a picture of Christ. The beating that the rock received the first time was a picture of the crucifixion. The speaking to it or what was, how it was supposed to be done the second time is a picture of how we come to God in prayer and he answers our prayer. Moses ruined the picture. So God told Moses, I'm not letting you into the promised land. Now, with that being said, marriage and the sexual, how can I say this? The sexual relationship between a man and a wife, according to the scripture, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in uh, the Song of Solomon is almost exclusively about this. Um, that relationship between a man and wife is a picture between the relationship between Christ and the church. So when we do the deeds of the body, adultery, fornication, any sex outside of marriage, it breaks God's picture. Because the picture that God wants to set up is one man, one woman, one individual, <laughs> one God, joined together and lasting that way for eternity. Ye are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll quicken your mortal bodies. I mean, all of that is a picture of that God will never leave us. And the earthly picture that God has established for that is marriage. And when we start playing with God's pictures, we start treading on 
hard ground, uh, soft ground. We, we start treading on ice, thin ice. If he'll turn around and tell Moses, of all people, <laughs> you're not going in that promised land. I know you've been leading these people for 40 years, but you're not going in. You hit that rock. What blessings do we not have? Because we've allowed our body to go places that it should not have gone. And again, notice this, mortify. And again, the, the definition of the word mortify, you know, it is <laughs> to subdue or deaden, especially by abstinence. It's a definition of the word. I got that right out of the dictionary. You abstain. You don't do it. Mortify the deeds of the body. And then what's the last phrase? He shall live. You want to have a good life in Christ? <laughs> Subdue the body. Live in and through the Spirit. You might say, well, preacher, good grief. I, I've already committed some of these things. I've already done it. I've, I've already hit the rock, per se. I've already broken the picture. Well, then start now. Start now doing the way it ought to be. See, because here's the thing. Your sins are forgiven. You know, and, and if you're saved, your sins are forgiven. Now, to help that relationship between you and God, you need to go to confess them. As the Bible says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We cannot change the past. We cannot but boy, we can sure do it right in the future. Does that make sense? You know, there's that there's a worldly saying out there, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Well, that's, that's always technically true, and that's true of every day. But again, just because you've goofed up and done the wrong thing doesn't mean you can't do the right thing now. It doesn't mean that you've got to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We get on our knees. We get right with God. That Holy Spirit's never going to leave us. He's always going to dwell in there. So if we live through the Spirit now and mortify the deeds of the flesh, unlike what we've done in the past, <laughs> ye shall live. And again, that, this is not talking about salvation. It's not talking about eternal life. It doesn't say there that ye mortify the deeds of the flesh and ye shall have eternal life. That's not what it says. Now, a lot of people imply that. But it's the same word that's used back there in John when Christ said, I will give you life and I will give it to you more abundantly. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about life after salvation. How we live it for Him. And that is the best life you can have. When you live for, when you live for Christ and not for yourself. Not fulfilling the deeds of the flesh but fulfilling the desires and the wants of the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way you can do that, well, <laughs> study the Bible, hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against God, study to show thyself to be approved, grow each and every day, be ye enlarged, <laughs> as we've been studying in Sunday school. So get into the book, have faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God, and I brought this up in Sunday school this morning. And as you're reading the Bible, anywhere you see where God is pleased, you automatically know faith is there. It may never mention faith in the passage. 
But the Bible does say in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you read a passage where it talks about God being pleased, you automatically know faith is involved. So study it a little more. See where the faith is. See who has it. See what, how the Holy Spirit used that faith and whatever it is. Find out why God's happy. <laughs> and then, well, <laughs> then lastly, just obey him. Just do what he says. And here he tells us, mortify the deeds of the body. Subdue that thing. You know, man. Again, sub to subdue or deaden, especially by abstinence or self-inflicted pain or discomfort. Let, let, let me mention that, self-inflicted pain or discomfort. You see, here's the problem about sin. It's, it's fun. It's enjoyable. Um, we, we like doing it. You know, and the more fleshly it is, the more we like it. And sometimes it's painful to not do it, but it's the right thing to do. It might be painful for, you know, <laughs> this guy that's been cheating on his wife, you know, sex outside of marriage, it's sin. It's going to be painful going to his mistress and saying, we're cutting this off. It's going to be painful when he goes to his wife and confesses what he's done, if she doesn't know already. <laughs> yes. It's him abstaining from him mortifying the deeds of the flesh is going to be a painful process. But in the end, he'll have life and he'll have it more abundantly. Does that make sense? And that's the way it is. Now, does that mean, hey, this wife's going to receive him back with open arms? No, not necessarily. That's up to her. But we have to do what God wants us to do, no matter how much it hurts. I, I know we've been talking about the sexual sins, but I mean, oh, good grief. You, you got to, you know, so say you do the, the books at work and your boss kind of wants you to fudge them a little bit. You know, it's, it's not honest. You got to do the right thing. Yeah, but I might lose my job. Well, remember this thing about faith and pleasing God? If we have faith that God is going to provide for us, <laughs> and then we lose our job because the boss tells us, eh, jiggle those numbers a little bit, and we don't juggle the numbers a little bit, and he fires us over it, well, I think that's where that abundant life is going to come in. Because God's probably going to give you a better job and he's, your life's going to be a lot more. Is it, is it going to be painful? Lose your job, miss a few paychecks? Yes. But God's got a promise here. If, beginning of verse 13, for if, and then all that stuff's there, and then the promise at the end, ye shall live. If you just do what I tell you, you'll have abundant life. That's what God's saying there. That's the best life you can have. Is it free of heartache? No. The Bible says there's a time to laugh, there's a time to cry. Is it free of sorrow? No. Um, <laughs> one of the greatest prophets of them all was known as a man of sorrows. We never read of Jesus Christ laughing, but we do read of him crying several times. Why? Because he had sorrow in his heart. 
Now, I'm not saying the man never laughed. I, I, you know, I kind of really refuse to think that, that Jesus lived his 33 years down here and never laughed. We just don't read about it. Uh, which kind of tells me that the times that he shed tears was more impressive upon the writers of the Bible, more impressive upon the Holy Spirit than the times he cracked up laughing over some funny joke that Peter must have said. Everybody with me? All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you. We thank you for dying on the cross for us. And Father, help us. I pray for everybody with an earshot that, that knows you, that is one of your children, where the Holy Spirit dwells inside of them. Lord, may we work on mortifying the deeds of the body. Lord, we all sin. We, we all try to fulfill the lust of the flesh in one way or another. Lord, it might be sex. It might be drugs. It might be booze. It might be something else. Um, good grief. It might just be eating too much. But Lord, but Lord, help us to mortify the deeds of the body that we may live. Because if we have that abundant life, you're working through us we're able to see other people get saved. We're able to see other people get right with you that may have been backslidden for a while. Lord, we're able to see you work in the hearts and lives of the people around us as we grow in you because we've mortified the deeds of the flesh and the Holy Spirit is, you know, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> we're working through the Holy Spirit to mortify the deeds of the flesh and then he works through us that we might have life more abundant. Lord, it's, it's a simple equation, but, but it's tough to live through. So Lord, we ask for the strength and we ask for the faith to please you. And Lord, may we do so. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.